And I want to continue with this theme and really the same passage we started last week. If you weren't here, we began in Luke chapter 2. It's this passage that describes Mary and Joseph going back to Bethlehem for the census. And I'm going to start today in verse 4. We're going to read a little further into the chapter as we go along. But in Luke chapter 2, verse 4, it says, So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. I want to speak to you today from this subject. It's the title of my message, When Family Fails. When Family Fails. I want to get right in to God's word, and I always like to begin with prayer as we get into the preaching of God's words. Would you bow your head with me as we pray? God, we thank you so much for your word. Thank you, Father, that every time we open up your word, you speak, and I ask God that you would do that again. Use me, speak through me, and let us see the truth of your word how it changes our life, makes us better, transforms us from the inside out. God, give us your perspective today. I believe you will. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name. And everybody who agrees with that can say amen. Hey, how many of you are going to be spending time with family this holiday season? Anybody going to be with family? Okay, can we just report these people to the CDC, please? I'm just kidding. Um, Maybe a better way to ask it. Uh, How many of you are going to be here for the holiday season. You're going to be here for the holiday season? Great. You are the ones I want to make sure you register for Christmas Eve, okay? You're going to be here. But uh, the truth is, whether you are traveling, going to be a family, or you aren't, uh, either way, it's part of the frustration of the season because whatever you end up doing, you know it's going to be different, right? It's going to be different. Uh, My family, they live here in town, so we get to see them quite a bit. Marissa's family, her parents live up in Iowa, and um, we don't really love going to see them. It's not them. We love them. They're they're awesome. Uh, But we just, it's not even like the drive. It's not even Iowa. Really, we we just don't like going to see them because of the sleeping arrangements, the the sleeping. It's crazy. When we go up there, there's no room. Marissa and I basically, when we're a family of six, we go up there. Her her parents, like most parents, uh, after everybody's moved out, uh, empty nesters, they've downsized in their house. And so when we go to see them, there's, there's no room in their house. Marissa and I end up staying, basically sleeping in a twin bed. She loves it. I like my space, but she thinks it's awesome. And uh, the, the room, I mean, the reason it's a twin bed, because the room that we stay in is basically a glorified walk-in closet. It's incredibly small. Our, our kids, though, um, they stay in, an, our boys, they stay in another room that's actually, if you can believe it or not, smaller than the room that we stay in. And there's three beds in there. I don't know how they get them in there, but it's like three, it's like Tetris, kind of three beds arranged in there. I say three beds, but really, really it's two twin beds and a makeshift crib that has been converted into a bed. You know what I'm talking about. And the crib is not for Pippa. The, the crib is for Grant, okay, if you can believe it. And he is too big for this thing. He, his feet are usually hanging off to the side because he doesn't fit in, the, in this bed, this crib. And I remember one night in the middle of the night, he, he was crying out. He got hurt because he stuck his foot through one of those slats. And I had to go in and rescue him. And then so three boys are in this smaller room with three beds in it, two and a half beds or two beds in a crib. And then that leaves Pippa. And she usually sleeps on the floor in our room. 
But of course, like I told you, a small room, there's usually not room. So then she crawls into bed with us, which means no room for me. So I usually end up going out and laying in the recliner in the living room. And there's no room in this house. And I can't help but think of that whenever I read this part of the passage in Luke. It's immediately relatable to me because this is Christmas for me. Going back with family and having no place to stay. And I know that kind of clashes with our version of Christmas that we think of because we've seen so many Christmas plays and we've read so many uh, children's books where Mary and Joseph are going back to Bethlehem and they are going from inn to inn with every time they, just as they get to the door, the, the innkeeper switches the sign and it says no vacancy. And so finally they arrive at one inn and they plead with this innkeeper and he looks on their situation, how she's very pregnant. And he says, look, I don't have any room but you can stay in the back with the animals in the barn. You can do that. But that's just not the way that this thing plays out, at least according to the text. You see, Luke was a gospel writer who was uh, really intentional about the words he used. And he, he was incredibly concerned with the historical accuracy and details and incidents of what was going on when he was writing. We know this because Luke tells us this in the very beginning of his gospel, Luke chapter 1, verse 3, he tells us this about himself. In fact, he's the only gospel writer who goes into any kind of detail at all about the nativity narrative. And so it stands to reason that if Luke strove for accuracy in the way he wrote and how he wrote, then, then what he said and how he said it were very intentional. And the way Luke tells the story, Mary and Joseph were not trying to stay at an inn. Mary and Joseph were staying with family. Okay, so I'll give you a quick Bible lesson real quick. In the, the word that Luke uses when he's writing about there is no place to stay, it's this Greek word, kataluma. I know it kind of sounds like a salad dressing, but kataluma. And he, he, he said kataluma in the Greek was generally referred to usually a guest room in a house. And we know that this is how Luke used it because there was another time where Jesus observed the Passover and he was in this room, and he used the same word, Cataluma. Only two times Luke uses this word. There's another word, though, that talks about an inn, a place that you pay for lodging. And Luke was familiar with this word, too, because in the parable, the Good Samaritan, when, when the Good Samaritan sees this man and binds up his wounds and, and takes him to an inn and pays and says, I'll pay everything till he recovers, he uses this other word to talk about an inn. Now, the point is that I'm trying to make, you don't have to know Greek words to understand the Bible. I'm just trying to, to point out to you that it probably, that this Christmas story was not an inn like we envision. The likely scenario here is that in order to comply with the census, all these people were traveling back. There would have been a ton of people going back to Bethlehem, including not just Joseph and Mary, but Joseph's relatives. And even if there was a commercial lodging, what Joseph and Mary would have done is what you and I would do whenever we go back to our hometown. Whenever we go back home, we typically stay with family. Well, that's the tension here. Because Mary and Joseph, for whatever reason, when they get back to Bethlehem, get back to their hometown, the relatives that they're staying with, for whatever reason, choose to give the guest room to somebody else. Instead of Mary and Joseph, Joseph with his very pregnant fiance, you see, in this passage, 
Mary and Joseph were failed by family. And I imagine you've been there too. Failed by family. I'm not suggesting that what's happening in this passage was malicious. I'm not even saying it was intentional. But I'm just trying to point out that as much as God loves the family, as much as God used the family to carry our burdens, the truth is many times we can be let down by the ones that we love. And that's what's happening here. It's not that they didn't have a place to stay. It's that the place that they were given said that you're not a priority. Have you ever felt that way before? Displaced priorities. In fact, usually when we're failed by family, it's because we've displaced our priorities in some fashion. Now, again, I want to stress, I'm not suggesting that what Joseph's family did was wrong. I mean, we don't know. We don't, we don't know the reason why they decided to give the room to somebody else. We don't know who else was there. Maybe, may, maybe they had some elderly relatives who were there, and they, and they needed to honor them. Maybe there was somebody sick who needed to be quarantined. I mean, we don't know the reason why they gave the room to somebody else, and we, we don't know the thought process that went into it. So rather than talk to you today about why families fail, I want to talk to you today about what you can do when it happens. When you're failed by your family, how you can respond, how God can help you with it. And to do this, I want to look at this passage through the eyes of Mary. Because that's the way Luke writes his gospel. Luke writes the the nativity narrative from Mary's perspective. In fact, most scholars and theologians believe that Luke actually interviewed Mary for his gospel. That's the reason why he has so much other detail compared to the others. And Mary's perspective is helpful to understand Mary's problem. You see, lots of times when we're failed by family, it's because we have an expectation that goes unmet. And that's exactly what we see here, is that Mary clearly had an expectation that they would have a different place to stay. We can tell it from the text because it seems like where they ended up was an afterthought. Where they ended up was not their first choice. You see in verse 7, it says that she wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger. Why? Because there was no guest room available for them. In other words, this wasn't intentional. This this was improvised. This was not the plan. And we don't know exactly the place that they stayed Luke, for all of his detail, he doesn't tell us. Some people think it was a cave. Some people say it would have been the lower level of the house where animals were. Uh, Some people say that it was a stable that would have been outside the home. We don't know. But what we do know is that it was not ideal. What we do know is that it was not planned. And I don't know if Mary was a planner or or not. I just think when I read this passage, sometimes I try and envision it like, like I'm in the story. I just think about my wife, because my wife is a planner. And and I think we've kind of rubbed off on each other over the years now. She's a little more laid back. I'm a little more detail-oriented. But I remember one of the first big arguments we had. We weren't even married yet. We were engaged. It was over planning a trip. My family was going to be doing this little vacation gathering, and they wanted me to be there, and Marissa was going to come along. I remember all these questions about, well, you know, how long are we going to be there? And when are we going to leave? And what are we going to eat? And what is the schedule for being there? And who else is going to be there? And what's the transportation? And when are you picking me up? And all these details. 
I'm just thinking about how Mary must have been traveling to Bethlehem, knowing that she's pregnant. And years later, Luke is interviewing her for his gospel. And she's telling us like, yeah, we had to put Jesus in a manger all because there was no room for us. I mean, Joseph's family, you know how his mom was. Like, she never planned anything. And it's like, we were supposed to be in the room, but then Joseph's mom invited his sister over, didn't tell anybody. If they just would have told us, we could have been there earlier, but that's the way it went. And so we ended up having to put him in a manger. We did this because of that. The, the manger was not Mary's choice. She was merely making do because she was failed by family. And whenever this happens, whenever your priorities get displaced, whenever you get hurt, you become despondent, you're disappointed. And disappointment is dangerous because it can cause you to set your expectation to the level of your experience. And if you do that, you can end up missing out on God's purpose for your life. See, that, that's what disappointment is. The etymology of the word means failure to be fulfilled. It's a disappointment. It's funny, I remember we had this one guy in our church one time. He's long gone by now, but I remember him coming up to me and telling me basically his philosophy of life. And he was like, yeah, you know, I just, I just never get my expectations up. I just always keep my expectations real low. That way I'm never going to be disappointed. And I remember thinking, man, first of all, you are not going to last here because we have a high expectation at our church. We expect God to move. We expect God to do great things. We have high expectations of ourselves. But I thought, man, that is not a way to live. Because, yeah, you know, if you have no expectations, you might not be disappointed, but you also never live fulfilled. Because part of expectation is fulfillment. Well, Mary had this expectation that didn't get met. And in this case, it was this failure to fulfill an adequate place to stay. And that's at the root of all of our disappointments. So when family fails us, it's not because they necessarily did something wrong. It's not because they necessarily did something evil. We, we usually are failed because an expectation is not fulfilled. Failed to say the right word in the right moment. Failed to show up. Failed to provide what I needed when I needed it. Failed to fulfill the role. F failed to listen when I needed to talk. Failed to protect me. Failed to make time. Failed to care. Failed to notice. Failed to support me. Failed by family because my expectation was unfulfilled. But I want to encourage you this morning that even when family has failed you, God has not forgotten you. you. You see it in this text because scripture tells us that at the same time Jesus was being born and being laid in a manger, God was preparing a proclamation. It says that while Mary was bringing forth a baby, in the next verse, that there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. 
This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Now, this manger, it's interesting to me because Luke, again, this guy who was so intentional about the way he wrote, he is the only gospel writer in all of the New Testament to use this word manger. And he uses it three times right here in Luke chapter 2. Now, manger is not like a terribly unique word. It literally just means a feeding trough. That, that's all it is. But Luke's usage of it indicates that there's a message in this manger. I think about what the manger represented to Mary. I mean, when Mary looked at this manger, it had to be a reminder of how her family had failed her. When Mary looked at this manger, it was proof of makeshift arrangements. The, the, the manger was evidence of her disappointment, that the way things are is not the way things should be, that this is not right. And this is why you can't always fall in love with the first draft of your dream. Because what Mary could have seen as a disappointment, God says was a designation. Think about this. He says, today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He's the Messiah. This will be the sign. You'll find him in a manger. The thing that looks like a failure, God says, this is how you're going to find a Savior. And that's really the heart of my message for you today is that when frustrations happen, the frustration of unmet expectations, I'm not saying that it doesn't hurt. I'm not saying that the things that have happened to you are okay. I'm not telling you that it's not a big deal. I'm just trying to help you see that what is a reminder to you of how you've been let down can also be used to reveal Jesus in your life. In fact, this might be the verse that you want to highlight and that you want to underline every time someone disappoints you, every time somebody lets you down, every time something doesn't go according to plan, every time an expectation goes unfulfilled, every time you see that happen, think of this verse, write it down, memorize it, quote it to yourself. This is the sign. This is the sign. I'll find Jesus here. This is the sign. And I got all excited when I was studying this because I was like, God, this is, this is amazing that in the disappointment, we can find you. That, that in the disappointment, we'll see Jesus. And as soon as I, I, was, I was praying, and as soon as I said that, it's just like God spoke to me. He's like, you need to read that again. I was like, what do you mean? Read it again. Okay, so I read it. It says, this will be a sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And I realized, you know what? The, the manger really wasn't a sign to Mary. It was a sign to the shepherds. In other words, it's how you respond when family fails you that reveals Jesus. Now, disappointments, they do allow us to know God. Your failures absolutely can fortify your faith. But what this passage is telling us, the point of this, this text, is that the manger, it wasn't a sign to Mary. It was a sign to the shepherds. And it's how you respond when your family fails you that will reveal Jesus to others. This reality will make you look at your disappointments 
in an entirely new way. I almost call this sermon a date with disappointment because in verse 6, it says that while they were there, the time came. In other words, Mary's disappointment was God's appointment. It, it wasn't a surprise. And it got me thinking about all the different things that have moved me in my life, different desires that I've had that I've wanted to see fulfilled, things that I've wanted to come to pass that maybe didn't go the way I expected, these different things that have moved me in my life helped me realize that really they were just meant to move me to another place. You know, I, I read Ephesians 3.20, and like, we love that verse, I love that verse. In fact, that's a great passage, Ephesians 3. It's a great passage for this series, because if you don't know it, you can write it down and look at it later today. But in Ephesians 3.20, Paul is praying for the church, and he starts out this prayer by praying for the family. He says, I, I now get on my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth derives his name. I'm praying for the family. And this is what he prays. He, he prays that they would grow. He prays that they would be strengthened. He, he prays that they would understand God's love. Verse 19, he says he, he prays that they would be filled with all the fullness of God. In other words, he's praying that they would be full, filled. And in verse 20, verse 20, you know it, I read it earlier. It says, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that works within us. Now, people love this verse. I love this verse. We get excited when we hear this verse. But think about this for a minute. More than all we ask, think, or imagine. That means that God's not going to do what we have in mind. That, that, that means that you're going to be asking God for one thing, and he's going to say no. You're going to be asking God for something, he's going to say not yet. You're going to be asking God for something, says, uh, actually, it's plan B. It's this other door. Because many times our plan B is God's plan A. <laughs> I think about like, just imagine this, real life example. You know how excited we are about stepping into our new venue, the location on 4000 West 6th Street, the old High V, the new Velocity building. So excited about that, right? And you can continue to give to that in our Kingdom Way offering if you haven't yet. I'm praying for 100% participation. We're excited about that. But, you know, that wasn't plan A. Honestly, it wasn't even plan B. That was like plan C. But aren't you, God, aren't you glad that God doesn't always go with our plan A? His plan Z is so much better than your plan A. And so you've got to be in this place of trusting that God knows better when family fails you. Because he is going to disappoint what you thought. And that's a good thing. Because if God always met your expectations, he could never exceed them. So, so let's get back to this text. I'll wrap this up. It says, when the angels had left and they'd gone and gone to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem, see this thing that happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off, found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. So there it is again. Three times, what could have been a source of sorrow is the sign of the Savior. And when they'd seen him, they spread word concerning what had been told them. A 
about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. And I was struck by that word treasured. Because typically, we don't treasure our disappointments. Typically, we, we don't value the things that have hurt us. Or we don't usually see tr- the failures in our lives as treasures. We usually see them as tarnished. We don't celebrate times families failed us. We don't post those imperfections on our highlight reel. We don't like to remember when people let us down. But here's what I see. Here's what I learned from Mary in this passage. That if you'll offer that thing that looks like a disappointment, and you say, God, if you can use this, I'll let you use it. Even a makeshift manger can hold a miracle. And whatever has let you down, whatever looks like regret, failure, pain, I just want to tell you that God can bring fulfillment out of failure. That's what we see. Now, I I don't know because Scripture doesn't say, but I, I wonder if Mary went from feeling like Jesus was failed by his family to realizing that he was remembered by his father. Because God can bring fulfillment out of failure. Think about this. Isn't this what the gospel shows us? I mean, isn't, isn't this the message of the gospel? Now, understand what I'm saying here, but when Jesus died on the cross, to everybody who followed him, to everybody who believed in him, it would have looked like a failure. Now, it wasn't a failure, but it would have looked that way. Because what they expected was for Jesus to take his place as king. What they expected is that he was going to bring freedom to them from Roman oppression. What what they expected is that he would demonstrate his power once and for all. So when they saw their Messiah surrender his life and die a bloody death on the cross, to them, it looked like failure. But it wasn't failure. It was fulfillment. Jesus did establish his kingdom. Jesus did bring freedom to them. Jesus did demonstrate his power by submitting to his father's will and getting up from the grave and defeating death, hell, and sin and taking upon him our punishment and our shame. He did all of that, but it looked like a failure. But the message is that God can bring fulfillment out of failure. And if family has failed you, and if they haven't, they will. Because there's going to be things that you go into Christmas and you had an expectation that is not going to be fulfilled. You're going to have a disappointment of what you thought Christmas was going to be like. You're going to have a priority be displaced. I just want to encourage you that when family fails you, God can still bring fulfillment. He brings fulfillment out of failure. If you'll offer it to him, you'll say, God, this isn't what I wanted. It's not what I preferred, but I'm gonna offer it to you. Help me to reveal 
you to others in this moment. This thing that I didn't ask for. God, I want to let you use it and use me to reveal yourself to others. God can bring fulfillment out of failure and he can work in your life too. And I'd like to pray